right, so it's Cosmic Dragon, uh, episode 15, and uh, we're recording on election night, so I've had a couple of uh, apple ciders, so I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, I told James Jenkins, our, our guest, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your uh, name correctly. Uh, Got it exactly. Awesome. Nailed it. Uh, and I told him he can get as uh, inebriated as he wants as well, which I'm not sure. Have you been partaking in anything this evening? Uh, not yet. I was thinking about it, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, at, be professional for the podcast, and then afterward, I get it. No problem. I'll be the unprofessional host. So uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff, and uh, typically on Cosmic Dragon, I stick to traditionally published authors. Uh, and you are our very first self-published author, uh, but what's significant about you is that you were a finalist in Mark Lawrence's uh, self-published uh, contest, which I forget the official name uh, uh, of his thing. You uh, can, yeah, you can... the self-published fantasy blog off or Spiffbo, if you're cool. Sp yes, yeah, Spiffbo. <laughs> um, and uh, you, you were a finalist. So tell tell us about that. Like, uh, what was the process of doing that, and what made you want to participate? Yeah, so I uh, discovered the uh, SPFBO or Spiffbo um, before I'd even published my first book. I just discovered the. Uh, the winner of the first year's competition, which is a book called uh, The Thief Who Pulled on Trouble's Braid by Michael McClung. An amazing okay. book. I'd recommend it for anybody. Um, and it had this winner of SPFBO. I was like, ah, that's weird. What's that? And I did my research and found out what it was. So then, you know, last year after I had a few of my own books published, it's like, well, I might as well just try. I wasn't expecting anything. Uh, the way the competition works is... Uh, they have 300 open slots. So first 300 books in, that's it. Gates close. And then Mark has 10 blogs that he's selected, usually book review blogs. And each blog gets 30 books that they kind of treat as their own personal slush pile. Mm -hmm. And then they select their favorite and put it forward. And then the 10 finalists are then read and judged by, by all 10 blogs. And then whoever has the highest average score is announced the winner. So I was lucky enough that my blogger slash judge really liked my book. So Okay, so it's kind of like a March Madness NCAA tournament kind of thing. So yeah, there are quite a few authors that every year they kind of put up their brackets and say, all right, place your bets now. Right. So. Okay, so you won for that particular blog. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, now, were you up against uh, Sendlin Ascends? Was that, was that your year? No, Sendlin Ascends was the year before me. Okay. Who, who won? Uh, was it the Grey Bastards who won uh, your year? No, Grey Bastards was the same year as Sendlin Ascends. I got you. I'm probably pretty lucky I wasn't in that year. They had some amazing ones. Right. Uh, this year's winner was um, Where Loyalties Lie by Rob Hayes. Okay. Yeah, I know Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... What And what was the title of that book, by the way? So the book that I was a finalist for was uh, Jack Bloodfist Fixer, which is my urban fantasy starring an orc. Nice. Orcs are coming back, man. It seems yeah, like. I, I love it. There's, they're everywhere now. And uh, you actually have a half orc in uh, Knights of the Dead God, uh, which is your newest book. Yeah, so Knights of my newest release. Uh, it's a, I call it a pseudo-sequel spinoff to Jack Bloodfist Fixer because it has some of the same characters. Right. But it's a completely standalone. It requires no foreknowledge of Fixer to enjoy. But yeah, the main protagonist is a little half-orc girl. 
So with orcs, I mean, Tolkien pretty much invented them, uh, as, as far as I know anyway. Uh, but what is an orc to you? Because there's different variations throughout different uh, fantasy uh, books, films, and things like that. So what what is an orc for James Jenkins? Well, uh, that might be a loaded question. Uh, so for me, I'm a huge D&D fan. Mm-hmm. So I've been playing that for the you know, past decade or so. Uh, so when I think orcs, I do think that Dungeons & Dragons orc. Uh, but I don't like the fact that they're always the bad guy. Right. So like I'm totally cool with that, you know, they're this barbaric, usually berserker warriors. I like that aspect, but I, I wanted to kind of move them to the other side of the line as far as who the heroes and who the villains are. Right. Well, that's cool. You know, the funny thing is, and this is probably uh, <laughs> a, a mark of embarrassment for a SFF author such as myself, but I have never once played Dungeons and Dragons. It's uh, it's something I think everyone should do at least once. Then you can be like, "No, I hated that. That was dumb," and then that's cool. But if you but like, I feel it, like it's yeah, yeah, and it's an amazing experience. It's one of my favorite things to do. Is just roll dice. So <laughs> it's like sushi. You never know until you try it. Exactly. It's like uh, Cat Rambo. Uh, I was talking to her in Seattle for a, a con we were at, um, and she said the one of the best things ever is to play. D&D with other authors, or especially other fantasy and science fiction authors. Yeah. So I, I'd, I'd be down for that, especially if I can, like, be a little lit for it, <laughs> which I don't know <laughs> if that's, like, a thing. Like, I don't know if people, like, drink and smoke or whatever while they do it, you know, like poker or anything. But yeah, it, it depends on the group. For some groups, it, uh, it makes it funner. So if that's yeah. your thing, that's your thing, man. That's my thing. So I'll give that a shot. Maybe I, maybe I can get, like, Mike Cole and... Uh, Joseph Brassi and stuff. To yeah, I, I guarantee hang. you could get at least a few writers to, to play with you. I actually sure. played a, uh, a game last year. There's a thing every October. It's called Orktober. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No. Um, so it's a celebration of all things Ork. But myself and a couple other writers who kind of focus on like Ork-centric books, we, we got together and played a game where we all played either a random Ork character or a character from our books. Oh, cool. It was a blast. Nice. Uh, so why self-publishing? Is, it, was this something that you said, let, let me try self-publishing first and then I'll go traditional? Or the, the, what, what was the, the choice uh, and, and how did you make it? And, and, and how did you come to being a self-published author versus traditional? Yeah. So originally I in no way wanted to be self-published because there is that you know stigma attached to it. Right, And I, I acknowledge that. I recognize that. And I, I kind of, for a long time, didn't want to believe that there was the possibility of anything good existing in that realm. And then I mentioned before, I found that book um, by Michael McClung, which was self-published. And I read it. And it was one of the best books I'd read in a long time. Right. And from that, from that point, I started finding other books that were kind of either recommended to me or just popped up in conversation. And I started reading those. I was like, oh, man, there are some amazing writers in this sphere. Right. And then, um, I've been spending years trying to write, you know, that, that epic doorstopper fantasy. Yeah. And I was kind of getting burned down on that. So I decided I need to write something short and fun. You know, I, I called it a practice book when I started working on it and that ended up being 
uh, fixer. And so I just gave it to some friends to read, and they all got back to me and said, this is the funnest book you've ever written, and I think it needs to be published. Uh, and at the time, I was like, well, I don't think any publisher would want a book like this. You know, I think it was a little bit of a self-doubt coming in. Right. I was like, but I've read some really great self-published stuff, so maybe I'll give that a try and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So I published that one. It wasn't, you know, huge success, but I mean, I started getting a check every month and that was cool. Right. So then by that point, the time I finished my next book, it's like, I'm going to try again. And it's just been every one I've released, I've just done it myself because I enjoyed the process and it just felt like the natural thing to do. And I got to say, uh, your covers are awesome. And that's one of the uh, stereotypes, I guess, of self-publishing is that yeah. oh, they have shitty covers. <laughs> but that's not necessarily the case. Um, so who, who did uh, your covers? So I've had a, a different cover artist for all of my releases so far. So Fixer was a, uh, a UK artist, uh, Tom Edwards, I believe his name was, uh, for my second release, which was called Son of Thunder. I got a guy from Spain named Randy Vargas. I think he's doing like Magic the Gathering cards now. So I, oh, I cool. got it right before he took off. Um, and then my newest book, Knights of the Dead God, that is actually a pre-made cover. Oh. So I think it cost me like a grand total of 30 bucks. Wow. Like, well, it looks cool. I'm going to see if it works. And so far it's been the cover that everyone's like, that's a great cover. Right. Versus all my others. So I got lucky with that one. That's awesome. Uh and I mean, that's with self-publishing, I guess that's the whole like thing for me is looking at it. It's like, it's all on you. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you have to do the yeah. cover. You have to do the marketing. Get, I mean, I, I feel like I have to do a lot of marketing uh, as it is. And I'm traditionally published and angry robot. Don't get me wrong. Does a fantastic job uh, putting the books out there. But uh, I, someone told me it was a mentor of mine. Uh, and he told me that if you want to learn how to be a better marketer for your books, talk to a self-published author or at least a successful self-published author. Yeah, yeah. So I guess since you're here, what, what do you do for marketing? Because, you know, sometimes it feels like, you know, I, I could tweet a million times a day, but what, you know, what, what for you works and what doesn't? God, shit, man. I wish I knew. I really did. <laughs> a lot of my stuff, I, I almost feel, has been luck. Like for uh, for Spiffbo, I got lucky being put in a blog that genuinely liked my book. So that got me way more exposure. Um, yeah, and it's just been the right people finding it. Right. So I, I haven't found the secret yet, but I, I think having a good cover is a big part. Um, and Make sure you're, you wrote a good book, for one thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Hire a kick-ass editor. Like, uh, I've actually been thinking about it a lot lately, and I've decided the, the major difference between a self-published and a traditionally published author is that as a self-published author, I'm responsible for finding my team, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, like if a, a publisher picks you up, you get your editor, you get your marketing. So I have to go and find the people that, that I know will appreciate my work and be able to make it the best it can be. It can't be just you. It has to be a team. Right. You mentioned luck and I, heck, I've sold a book simply by making fun of the whole uh, cocky gate thing that came out. Uh, and then someone just said, I bought your book cause you, you made me laugh because you were making fun of the whole 
cocky gate thing and, and you know it's just stupid stuff like that and it's like well i'll act a fool more online if that's what works <laughs> you know i'm not I'm, forget all this sharing you know reviews and stuff um but I, i'm kind of getting the sense of what it is to be a self-published author marketing and stuff uh because i'm working on a comic book so i i had to find an artist and thankfully i i was recommended an artist and uh, thankfully also they didn't want to uh do it out of a commission uh, but like a team to where like I don't have to pay them up front, but once we you know get it sold somewhere like Image Comics or wherever, uh, that we'll just yeah. split split whatever they pay us because I don't have that kind of money to pay people, and and they yeah. deserve it. They they seriously deserve it, and I definitely don't want to screw somebody out of money. Um, but dang, that's that's tough. It's it's a business. It's like running a small business. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So let's talk about. The Knights of the Dead God. What, what what's this book about? All right. So the uh, the primary premise is there's a uh, our our hero's a six year old half orc girl who uh, has been torn from her family and transported to another world, and traveling with her is a uh, kind of fallen paladin, kind of a former holy knight who failed to protect his god. Uh, my primary inspiration for this story and the way I like to describe it to everybody, it's uh, John Wick meets D and D. Nice. Nice comparison. Yeah. Cause I love the idea of having a character that people just have to say his name and everybody knows who he is and that shit's about to go down. I, yeah. I like that trope. That is very John Wick. Yeah. So that, that's what I went for for this one. It's it's a really short read. It's only about 50,000 words, uh, okay. a little under 200 pages. Yeah, so I was about 222 pages. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, it's fast-paced. I've got three kind of primary POV characters, but I tried to make sure there was no, you know, no wasted words. It's just story starts, story goes, story ends. Might not be the most revolutionary read ever, but... I'm, I'm really proud of it. Well, that's good, Ben. And, and t- telling you from my experience, I prefer shorter books. Uh, those 500, 600-page books, with very few exceptions, I just, like around page 350, 400, I'm like, all right, let's, we, let's wrap this shit up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired of this. Like, you know, I don't I – don't, but I, maybe I'm weird because a lot of people like uh, – you call it a doorstopper uh, fantasy yeah. book. I just, ah, I don't know. Uh, with the exception of Scott Lynch's books, which are paced so fantastically. Yeah, his amazing, so you, you can't even tell with his You stuff. can't yeah. tell, right. And I'm all about that. But, like, for me, like, my own writing, uh, the, the book I just finished and sent off to my agent was the longest I've ever written, and that was, like, 95,000 words. You know, <laughs> compared yeah, to like yeah. other people who write urban fantasy, and that's like a hundred thousand, hundred and ten, and then versus like uh, Patrick Rothfuss, the two hundred, three hundred thousand words or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, good grief, immense. I can't even. I can't even imagine having and having to edit that. Holy. Oh God, fuck. no. No. That, that's that's why I write the short books. I was trying to write those big ones, and it's like, no, this isn't working. I can't do it. I guess well, I'm glad just, other people do because sometimes I like reading those, but. I try very hard to have, you know, quick, short reads. I really think that authors, 
in, find their their niche or, or what 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 works for them because i've tried the whole like big epic fantasy thing uh when i wrote like a pirate fantasy and that was only like ninety thousand words you know and i couldn't push it any further and it it, it was just so derivative and bleh, and uh it's just not my thing and then i kind of found out I, I write more science fiction fantasy mix match thing um so i guess my question for you is like wh why what about fantasy why does why is it something you love to write and love to read oh man um i think it's because it's just what i started reading you know i, I kind of had that cliche thing where I was given The Hobbit and The Chronicles of Narnia, you know? So it was like fantasy was always just that genre that I knew I liked. So whenever it was, came time to find a new book to read, it was like, well, I know I like this thing with the dragons and shit, so I better find something else with that. <laughs> and, you know, it just kind of went from there. And so I, I, I read other stuff every once in a while, but generally fantasy is just the one that appeals, you know? Did you always write fantasy, or did you kind of start in another genre? No, it's always been fantasy. I've tried my hand at other genres and other uh, other things, but it always comes... Like, when I first started writing Fixer, I wasn't planning on there being orcs. I was just going to write some dumbass paint-by-the-numbers thriller just to see if I could do it. And I was like, oh, you know what? The hero's an orc now. So even what? when I try to do something else, it just turns into fantasy. Same here, and it's, it makes it so much better. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing I did notice though, and I and uh, I don't know if this is like true, but it seems to be a correlation. But like people who don't like my books, especially Smoke Eaters, really love Brandon Sanderson's books, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> Other than, like, I'm not going to sit here and claim I'm like the anti-Sanderson or anything, but, you know, I don't write big books. I, I'm more of a pulp, pulpy type person. But, and this, if you don't have to answer this question, because I certainly couldn't answer it, but if you had to compare yourself to other fantasy or, or whoever, uh, authors, who would you say your writing style and the thing you try to achieve, who, who are you more like? Who can you be compared to? Man, I honestly don't know. I know, like, I have a list of writers, and I'm not going to name them because I don't want people to know, but I have, like, my top five, and I call it my hit list. Right. Where I basically, when I feel like, all right, I am now better than this person at this thing, cross them <laughs> off my list. So I, yeah, I have I was... my goals. I have, I have the, like, I have my sights set on specific writers, um, but I, I honestly don't know if I could say who I write like now. Well, yeah, that's, let's I, keep that private. That's a private thing. Yeah. We don't want that getting out. Um, well, how about this? Who, who are your favorite writers to read? Right, uh, so my number one, uh, I love Terry Pratchett. I love his Discworld novels. Yep. Um, I'm a big fan of Robert Jackson Bennett. I know Robert. Yeah? Yeah. yeah I loved his Divine Cities. I, they just blew me away. Uh, City of Stairs, though that whole City of Stairs, Blades, Miracles, yeah, yeah. I still haven't read his newest one, The Foundry Side, but it's it's high on my list right now. Yeah, uh, that the that book's actually up for the Goodreads Voter Choice Awards. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Robert and I are actually represented by the same agency. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So who else? Uh, so not to say I wouldn't like your stuff, but I do like Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, nice, nice, uh, nice segue on my part. Okay. <laughs> well, and I love, um, I love his writing excuses uh, podcast as well. Yeah, it, it is a great podcast. Um, there are very few of like those big, huge books that I can get through, but for the most part, I like his. Um, let's see. Michael McClung, who I mentioned before. Right. Uh, the, the Amrathetis series. His are amazing. Uh, see, and I actually just finished a book today. First time I ever read from this guy, but I'm going to put it on my list now. Uh, C.T. Phipps. I read straight out of Fangton. It's a vampire comedy, and I kind of loved it. Okay, so yeah. Uh, that out there. I believe his uh, real name's Charles Phipps. Yeah, yeah. And he's, uh, I see him every so often on the uh, Fantasy Faction Facebook group he posts in there. And actually, uh, Michael, who uh, set this podcast up, he, he recommended him as someone to interview for a future podcast. So. Yeah. I think if you like short and pulpy, you might like, uh, like that one. I love pulpy. That is my thing. All right. Anyway. Yeah. Now that list to go on forever. I can't think of any specific ones right now, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's going back to the Knights of the Dead God. Is this a series or is this just a standalone right now? So it's a series, but what I'm really trying to do with it is that each story is a standalone. I'm a big fan of like old school sword and sorcery. You know, like every time you read a new Conan story, you don't have to have read the one before it. Right. So that's kind of what I want to do. I, you know, the same two central characters within every book will have a new supporting cast, a new primary, you know, uh, antagonist or issue they have to deal with. So each one can be read in any order, but there will be multiple in the series. Good, cool. So do you have a number, and or you just know that that there will be multiple? So right now, after Knights of the Dead God, I have six stories planned. I expect they'll all probably be about as short, maybe a little longer. But good grief! Yeah, <laughs> I have a problem. Let me tell you, uh, when I wrote Smoke Eaters, um, I had no intention of making it a series. I mean, I could have probably figured out a way, but when uh, my agent approached uh, Angry Robot with it, and they came back before they even bought it, and they said, "Hey." Do you think you can give us some ideas for potential sequels? And I was like, oh, fuck. So <laughs> let me pull some stuff out of my ass real quick. And and, that's, and I stuck with it. I typed up a couple synopses. And uh, Ash Kickers is the sequel coming out in June. And I stuck with whatever I sent them. You know, I mean, it was vague enough to where I could, you know, do what I wanted. It wasn't. Yeah, but for, a little bit. For the most part. But you know what? Most of my ideas, I pull out of my ass. I, you know, it, or it just pops in my head, and I just kind of roll with it. Um, which is another question: Do you outline, or are you a what they call a pantser or discovery writer? Um, I'm a little bit of both. Like I'll have the general shape of the story, and I'll outline that, but never very specific. And I'm always willing to just throw it away when it comes down to it. Okay. So, so more of a hybrid. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of both. And then sometimes it feels like, you know, once you get in that rhythm and mood, you just, you know, just keep going. And, and, and 
let the story unfold how it will. Wow, six books. Well, <laughs> hey, some people are awesome like that, and they could have the whole like story in their head. You know, I can only work like one or two books at a time, uh, and I always get ideas for other books like that have absolutely no relation to uh, to that specific series. And then so that, that sounds cool. more fun, right? Right. Yeah, it always does. It's like that meme with a dude like looking over his shoulder, <laughs> even though he's got his girlfriend right there or whatever. Yeah, it's just like that. So uh, we're going to get down to wrapping some stuff up. But uh, the, one of the questions I ask everybody who comes on this podcast is, what is something uh, that you have learned so far that you either wish you knew or wish someone had told you? Uh, so the biggest thing, and this might be specific to me, but I guarantee it applies to a lot of people. Um, so I've been trying for years to you know, write a story, one that would sell. And then when I got feedback from my editor for my novel Fixer, he called me out on a particular scene and said, it really feels like you're trying to subdue this. You're trying to kind of keep it you know, a little smaller than it really should be. He's like, don't be afraid to go over the top. Just write the shit you want to write. So I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned. And it's one that I think every writer should learn is you're not writing this for anybody else. You're writing it for you. So make sure you like that shit. Make it as exciting as possible for you. I love that advice because I, I fully support it. I've never really been able to articulate it in that way. But I completely agree uh, because one of the biggest frustrations for me is when I read a book and it's just so subtle and they, do, they don't they don't make it big and over the top. And granted, I like pulp and over the top stuff, but it's so it's like, you know, in The, uh, the Hobbit, when he falls asleep during the big battle, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> what, the hell? <laughs> what a cheat. What the, f you know, uh, or I think the same thing happens in this book I had to read in high school about the Revolutionary War across five Aprils, or that was maybe that was Civil War, but anyway, yeah, this book, yeah, it was it was a revolutionary book, um, but I can't remember what the title, but they did the same thing where he fell, he got knocked out during the, the this battle in Boston. It's historically like you can historically look and see exactly what happens, but it's just ridiculous. But I, lo I love that right action. That's all. I guess I love writing some action, but uh, well, let me ask you this. When do you know when a book is ready to go? Because, you know, with, with traditionally published authors, you know, it, it's up to the publisher to say, yes, this is, is good. We accept it. We'll publish it. But for you, you know, it's all on you. So do you, how many drafts do you typically go through and uh, working with your editor? When, when is it ready? So I will usually do two drafts. First draft is always garbage. I think every writer knows that. Right. And by the time I've done my second draft, where it's, I'm kind of okay with it, I will send it to some beta readers that I just trust explicitly. And they will tell me, yes, this is good, or no, you wrote a steaming pile of shit. Right. And then depending on that feedback, if they like it, I might do a few touch-ups, like try to fix some you know, grammatical errors, whatever, and then send it off to my editor. And they'll come back from my editor, and I'll do one more draft using their notes. How did you decide on your editor? So for my first uh, three books, I used the same editor. Um, and I just found him. There was a, it's like yellow pages for authors or something. I think K boards or something. I sent him a sample. 
like he, he said, I'll do the first, you know, however many thousand words for free. So you can see if you like my style, sent it to him, he sent it back. All his notes were like, all right, you suck at this and this and this, this is what I think you're trying to do. I was like, that's it. He knows what I'm trying to do with the book. So I used him. And then for Knights of the Dead God, I actually used a, uh, a new editor who I met through a mutual writer friends. Cool. And I guess, you know, you, you never know if it's going to work out or not until after it's yeah, done. And that, that is the scary part as well. I, I assume it's probably the same for you, but every time you, you know, the book is released, it's like, all right, well, let's see who hates it. <laughs> so. Oh man. And what, let's talk about reviews for a second here. since you bring that, that up, <laughs> um, because <laughs> I think this is a common problem for all authors but my, the, I can respect a review that's like, yeah, you know what? This wasn't for me, and this is why it wasn't for me. Hey, cool, whatever. But books that review or, or, or reviewers that review the book and you feel like they didn't even read the damn thing. Actually, I know of a specific reviewer uh, on uh, a, a book who said that they didn't read the back cover copy and if they had they wouldn't have read the book and then so it's like okay so you completely don't like this anyway what so what what experiences have you had with uh reviews since you know this is self-published and 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 you i mean everybody relies on reviews but i would think especially self-published authors yeah i mean reviews are huge uh you know i for the most part i've been pretty lucky like i've got a few one-star reviews that are kind of like well I don't think you're right, but okay. But there hasn't been any like that. Oh, I didn't look at the front cover. I didn't know there was an orc in it. I hate orcs, you know, but that hasn't happened to me so far. Oh, that, yeah, Um, that's good. uh, Yeah, there have been a few negative reviews, but for the most part, they're ones that are like, all right, no, I I can kind of see where they're coming from. That's the crazy thing, you know, because I have predominantly positive reviews. But you get that one negative one. It's like it, it ruins your whole day. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I, I definitely know that. Like, I, I try to keep that positive attitude like, oh, it's just not for everybody. It's okay. But if I'm being honest, yeah, I'll usually like just sit in the corner and drink as much as I can until I forget about the particular review. Yeah, it doesn't so. bug me as much as it first did. Like, like now that I've got two books out there, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Nah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've actually had reviewers argue with each other <laughs> on on the thing. Like, like one reviewer would say something, and another I would go on there and be like, "I don't know what the hell these people are talking about and what book they read. This was awesome, and this is why, and this is why you're wrong." And it's just like, "I'll let y'all fight this out. I'm, I'm, I, I can't comment on any review." So yeah, no, it's it's not safe for you to comment on reviews anyway. It's it's not the author's place, right? Right. I mean, the book's out there. I can't do anything about it. Uh, it's, it, it's it's done. Yeah, you know, I can't come. I can't. It's not like a political opinion that I have to. I can come and like make my argument and be like, "Let me change your mind." You know, it's like no. It's it's yeah, solid. That's, it's that's, already done. That's not going to help. They're not going to change the review. They're just going to go rate all your other books without reading them. Oh God, yeah. I'm sh- <laughs> Lord, people are weird. Uh, so. Uh, we'll wrap up this interview. So why don't you uh, tell me and everybody else who's listening where they can find you online and where they can find your books. Yeah. So you can find me on uh, Facebook, uh, James Jenkins author. I'm on Twitter as Beth Teva, B E T H T E V A. Um, my books are available everywhere. You can find on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, any ebook supplier. 
whether, you know, iTunes or Kobo or whatever. Uh, and then my first two novels, Jack Bloodfist Fixer and Son of Thunder, are both available on Audible. Nice. Uh, who who read? Did you read it yourself? I did not. I can't do accents. Uh, Jack Bloodfist <laughs> is read by a guy named uh, Rich Remedios, and Son of Thunder was re- read by a guy named Sean Tibbenen. They both did an amazing job. So if you guys like audiobooks, I'd, I'd recommend those. Awesome. And uh, what, do you have an audiobook plan for the new book? I said, God, I'm going to wait a little while on that one. I'm debating doing like an omnibus edition because 50,000 words is pretty short for an audiobook. So, Right. Good point. Well, cool. All right. Well, everybody go out, check out his books. James, thank you so much for coming on Cosmic Dragon. You are welcome to come back anytime. And uh, I hope you have a good night and the election results don't uh, depress you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see.